I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. It's 101. Quiet, please. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to a Monday on the Radio Northwest Network. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. Uh, we will at some point talk about those pro-terrorism, pro-Palestinian marches, like the one that happened in Bellevue. Uh, that happened over the weekend. Out, out protesting in favor of terrorism. What a great idea. And for some reason, Bellevue decided to put up with it, didn't take any action against blocking the streets. I guess if you're with a liberal cause like the CHOP or CHAZ zone or the pro-Palestinian terrorists or Antifa or BLM, the police don't take any actions at all. So that's on the agenda. I want to remind you that in a few hours in Olympia, there is a rally that's being planned. And I want to let you know about this. They have rallies in the state capitals all the time, in Salem, in uh, Washington State as well. But this one seems to be particularly on point. Our friend uh, Brandy Cruz reminds us of this, and also Jim Walsh from the Washington GOP. There are now six initiatives to the legislature. Now, I understand what happens there. You gather about 400,000 signatures, you can get an initiative on the ballot. Uh, thanks to Mr. Haywood, they've been able to get six of these things qualified, and then you send them to the state legislature. If they, they have the certified number of signatures, then the legislature can, but is not required to actually do anything with those initiatives. Well, so far, I mean, all six of these are entirely on common sense things, like whether or not Washington state should have an income tax in the form of a capital gains tax, and whether or not the police should be able to chase bad guys, criminals, when they flee. Now, the legislature could act on these. Now, imagine yourself as one of those lawmakers in Olympia, and you're presented with these six initiatives, and what do you say? You say, we're not going to do anything with them at all. Well, there's a consequence to that. If the legislature fails to act on those six, any one of them, then it automatically goes to the ballot and the people make the decision instead. And I would venture to say 
that I think all six of them will get the public's approval and all six of them will not be acted on by the state legislature, which makes you wonder, how are these people representing the people if they refuse to act on things in which 400,000 people have put their signatures on a petition and they know to a fair certainty that when it goes to the ballot, the people are likely to vote yes on those initiatives, even though their so-called representatives in Olympia are saying we're not going to act on them at all. Well, there's a rally at 3.30 this afternoon to remind people, Brandy Cruz is going to be one of the speakers, and you hear her on this show as well, at least 800,000 voters in Washington State have signed one or more of these six initiatives. Is that enough to get the legislature off its duff and to actually take some action? We'll have to see, but they're planning a rally on the Capitol steps, 3.30 this afternoon in Olympia, and I hope that they get a huge crowd of people. I mean, we haven't quite reached the point where, because one of them is about the carbon tax that's being imposed that was never supposed to apply to agriculture. We haven't quite reached the point where the farmers are going to show up in Olympia with big wagons loaded with manure and start dumping it in front of Jay Inslee's house or in front of the state legislature. But we may be working our way to that point. So just be aware that's what's going on. I want to talk about Washington State's new uh, overtime worker, uh, overtime law for farm workers. But first, we have a poll. We put up a brand new poll every single day. And we put it up on X. That's what they used to call Twitter. You can find it at Lars Larson Show. And if you don't want to go to X, you can go to my website at LarsLarson.com. Just for fun, will Joe Biden declare war first on Texas or Iran? As you may have heard, over the weekend we got word that three service members, including a young lady from Georgia, have all been killed in Jordan. We've got increasing attacks on the U.S. military. On the other hand, I'm concerned about the idea that there are certain people out there, including the military-industrial complex, who just love to have some more war. I mean, we've got a war going on in Ukraine. We've got, uh, we've got conflict with China. We may have a war in the Middle East. We've got U.S. shipping under assault. And by the way, that shipping that's under assault, I saw somebody this weekend make the point that it used to be for the last several thousand years in human history that if you wanted to have a naval blockade, you had to have a navy of your own. Well, now the Houthi terrorists, the ones who are, you know, getting their support from people like Joe Biden and his friends in Iran, you don't have to have a navy anymore to do a naval blockade. They're able to do it just involving the Red Sea. So that's a significant item as well. If you want to jump in to the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every day on the Radio Northwest Network at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in the Twitter poll or X poll. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. And uh, about this overtime law, am I in favor of people making overtime? Yes. Uh, did I think it was a good idea when the state of Washington said, we're going to require that farmers who often employ people who work 60 or 70 hours a week, that they should have to pay them overtime? And my answer to that was no. 
I said, this is going to screw those workers. And uh, we were unsuccessful, or I was unsuccessful, in persuading people that this was an incredibly bad idea, that the very people that the do-gooders claimed that they were going to help, and that is the farm workers, they see these poor farm workers, they're working 60, 70 hours a day because harvest time demands that that harvest come in. And oftentimes, those workers make big bucks, but they're doing it by working 60 or even 70 hours every week. So along come the Seattle do-gooders who say, hey, let's insist that all the farmers pay them overtime. As though every time that you put a new requirement on agriculture, that farmer just gets a big old barn shovel, and he goes out to his barn where he stores stacks, bales of $100 bills, and he just shovels up as much as he needs to meet the latest requirement imposed by either Olympia or Salem. That's not the way it works. They didn't do the math. So guess what's happening now? All of the workers who are supposed to be the beneficiaries of the new overtime rule, they're all screaming and yelling there, and, and right, they should, because they're saying, I'm now being held to 40 hours. The farmer who said, I can't afford to pay you overtime for 20 or 30 hours every week, it's less expensive for me to simply hire a second worker and have you limited to 40 hours I'll get the other hours out of the other worker. You'll both get paid the standard wage for farm work, but nobody's going to make overtime. The thing was a complete and total failure. Anybody with a brain could have foreseen that, and now they're begging that the legislature change this. Get rid of the rule. It made no sense, and the law's only been in place now since 2021. It's not working. And by the way, what should have been the kiss of death, the proposed law in Washington State, was actually praised by that notable business expert, Joe Biden. Glad to be with you on a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Gunlaw.com. A reminder, you are in control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. 
That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Imagine a single Northwest County finding a way to save a million bucks a year for taxpayers and hire better workers at the same time. It happened last week as Clackamas County took the bold step of killing its diversity, equity, and inclusion department. They wiped the entire department out, saved almost a million dollars. It also freed the county to hire people, believe it or not, based on their skills and abilities rather than their skin color and their sexuality. Commissioner Commissioner Ben West led the charge to eliminate this illegal nonsense. It's a bit ironic because Ben's a gay man. He says it was harder actually to come out as a conservative than to come out as gay. Now, I'm a small employer, and I've always hired my producers based on what's between their ears and not what's between their legs. I do it that way because I get the best people. And even if I didn't want to do it that way, I do, but even if I didn't want to, federal, state, and local laws, not to mention the U.S. and state constitution, actually demand it. Every other government in the Northwest could follow Clackamas County's lead, save money, reward skill and talent, and hire the best. Or they could keep going woke, the way we've seen a number of major private companies go, and we all know how that movie ends. By the way, one small correction. I said that rally at the State Capitol Olympia is today. Got that wrong. It's Wednesday. Wednesday, 3.30 in the afternoon. And I got another note from a gentleman who said, Lars, it wasn't 800,000 people who signed those uh, petitions. It was 2.3 million. Let me explain something. There were people who signed all six. There were people who signed four. There were probably some people who signed two of them. And there were people who only signed one of the initiatives. The total number of voters who signed was 800,000. The total number of signatures they had from those 800,000 people was 2.3 million. But the total number of people it represents is 800,000 people. Now, when the state legislature, I mean, even dimwit Democrats, when they get a message from 800,000 of their constituents, about 10% of the entire state population, when 800,000 people sign one or more of those petitions, do you think the legislature ought to sit up, take notice, and take some kind of action? They're likely not to. And in fact, in the last couple of weeks, as these initiatives were being certified, and the final ones were certified, I think, over the last couple of days, but all six are now good to go. I've asked them, do you actually expect the state legislature to act on them? And every single one, to a man, to a woman, has said, no, we really don't expect any action at all. I want you to just try and wrap your head around that idea. You have a bunch of people in Salem, in Boise, and in Olympia who call themselves state representatives. That is, they claim to represent the people. When 800,000 of the people sign one or more of six initiatives and demand that the legislature take action, what does it tell you? When one party in particular, the Democrats, say, we're not going to take any action, we're going to effectively just force those initiatives to be put to a vote of the people. I think if I were sitting in a legislature, and I've never aspired to that position, if I ever did something as stupid, as colossally stupid as that, and said, I'm not going to act 
on what appears to be the will of a sizable number of citizens, 800,000 of them. And then those initiatives passed anyway when put to a vote of the people. That would be the time when any kind of honor you feel at all would say you ought to just tender your resignation and walk away from so-called representative service. Our question of the day, should workers be forced to pay $15 tolls just to drive on freeways that they already paid for? Well, the Washington State Transportation Commission is holding its final public meeting today to talk about proposed changes to toll rates on Interstate 405 and State Route 167 in the Puget Sound region. And I'd encourage all the people in the state of Oregon, which is just now talking about adding tolls to freeways, Pay attention to what happens in Washington State, because right now, people in the state of Oregon are being told you may be paying some really punishing tolls that are going to be charged for freeways that you've already paid for. Problem number one. Problem number two, you're also being told that about 60% or more of the money that you pay in that toll is not going to end up going to roads and freeways and bridges at all. It goes to the cost of collecting the toll. So when two-thirds of all the dollars are going to go just to rip the dollars out of your pocket and only one-third or less is going to go to actually benefiting the roads, even if you believe in tolls, that's got to be a deal killer. But then consider what the Washington State Transportation Commission is considering. The proposed changes would raise the maximum toll to $15 on I-405 and $9 on SR-167. The minimum rate on the I-405 express toll lanes and the SR-167 high occupancy toll rate, uh, lanes would increase to a dollar. And if you say, well, dollar, that sounds pretty good. When do you think they charge a dollar to drive in the express lane? When nobody's on the freeway. That's when you get that toll. If you actually want to get to work on time and you're going to have to pay as much as $15 to be able to do that, that's absolute insanity. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. We're going to talk about this more today, but and I know we've talked about it before, but both Oregon and Washington have a massive drug overdose death problem. The numbers are in the stratosphere. Oregon is already on track to see a gigantic increase this year over last year, and last year was bad enough. But let me give you some perspective on this, because state lawmakers in Oregon are planning not to do anything that actually changes the equation. Here's the way Oregon Catalyst puts it, our friends at the Taxpayers Association. While state lawmakers refuse to act on drug addiction, the overdose deaths ramp up. As lawmakers prepare to tackle, I wouldn't call it a tackle, I'd call it a light touch, the state's addiction crisis. New data from the Oregon Health Authority shows how bad it's become. In 2019, 280 people died of a drug overdose in Oregon. Three years later, it had more than tripled. Last year, even more people died, north of 1,000. Every month, the number has been higher than the previous year, reaching 628 in June. The state is now compiling data for 2023. But if the trends continue, the total in Oregon is going to hit 1,250 deaths from an overdose. So uh, now our best email of the day comes in from Darren. 
Hey, Lars, with the rising cost of taxes, my wife keeps saying, why do I keep paying them? I say, because if they don't, they'll throw us in jail. But what if everybody who voted for Trump simply stayed home from work for one day? Staying home is not breaking the law. If it didn't take any PTO and didn't spend any extra money that day, 74 million people voted. I don't know how many are retired and not paying taxes. It would take away some tax revenue for a day. And that would, uh, I don't think it's a good idea long term. It would end up hurting workers only. Coming up in just a moment, we got a lot to talk about, including what are we actually going to see the Democrats propose in Salem to fix the problems with drug legalization that was brought about by Measure 110? You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. <laughs> Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I think one of the most pressing problems in the Pacific Northwest is the, uh, I guess, obstinacy of the Democrats in both Oregon and Washington to do anything meaningful to try to change the course of illegal drug addiction problems that are actually going to kill thousands of people. No exaggeration. If you count both Oregon and Washington, there will be thousands of people who will be dead at the end of this year in 11 months uh, that, that aren't dead today. And they know that's going to happen. And yet, and still, it sounds like the Democrats have nothing meaningful planned. Angela Todd joins me now from the group PDX Real. You can follow them on Instagram, also on X, and they've got their own website, pdxrealmedia.com. Angela, welcome back. Hi, Lars. What an amazing time that we're in that we have people that are coddled on our streets using drugs, we're raising, through tax dollars, millions of dollars that have done nothing but make their addiction issues worse and have people languishing and dying on the streets. I mean, I just can't believe this measure fix from the, the majority, the Democrats, you know, oh, we're going to make it a Class B misdemeanor, which essentially does nothing. I, I will say the only thing I think is good about this is they are able to put them into a sobering center for three days, which we used to have in Multnomah County, and they stopped funding it a few years ago and just sort of left people out on the streets that if they went in the emergency room, you know, they would run that through tax dollars and then release them on the streets. I mean, I have never seen a bigger entire process run so badly. It's just, I, I can't, I, I like I was thinking about our call today and I thought, what can I say that's new? Because at some point I just sound like I'm bitching. Um, but this is just it's it's insane. I mean, they're asking for another thirty million dollars so they can do a rehab center. You think maybe all the other millions did it just occur to you guys that we need more rehab? I mean, it's 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 stupidity. It's it's unaccountable. And I really think it's just about sending money to people that NGOs. are special interests. Should we yeah. call that the narcotic industrial complex that much like the housing industrial complex has now decided you need to pay us whether we fix the problem or not. So give us a lot of money and then the problem won't get fixed. 
and then we can go back to the next legislature in another year and say, gee, you gave us some money, but that hasn't fixed the problem. So the answer is, give us some more money. I mean, it's like, how long are, are they expecting citizens and their so-called representatives to be that dumb? I, I don't know how the, I don't know how, I can't imagine there's anyone who doesn't think like we do at this point. I mean, people seem to have short-term memory. Uh, this is always the same thing. We need more money. Let us just do this stopgap. It's all going to be okay. We just need a little bit more money. It's been said before by many people, if money was the problem, we would have resolved it by now. Yep. It's, it, it's just, um, I, I, I'm encouraging people to know who their legislative person is and in the Senate and the House and to call, write letters. Uh, we're going to be calling out on our channel whenever it's time to testify. I encourage people to get on channels like ours and, and listen to you and, and learn how to talk about this and educate the people around them that they have influence with. You know, your neighbors, your family, your people you associate with, your associations or churches. I mean, people need to be informed. And as a body, we can push against this legislative. I don't even care if it's Democrat or Republican. I'm, I'm for what works. And more and more, I feel like the real fight is, is the people against the government. We can't sustain sending this much money to this problem and having so many essential services, especially in the city of Portland, breaking down, like our, you know, our law enforcement, our prosecution. I just did today a program about what's going on at the jail. I mean, they didn't have heat for six days, and they have sewage in the intake area, so they're closing it. I mean, for days on end, and everybody who's supposed to be put in jail are, like, not arrested and put in jail. It's well, I mean, as an example, Angela, you know, the Donnelly Long Juvenile Home is, you know, this is the juvenile detention center for the biggest county in the in uh, Oregon and the and the second biggest county in in the state in the region. And and they said, well, they had an emergency generator, but they let it run out of fuel. And you know, yes. I expected some kind of follow up on that story because when you talk about an ordinary nuts and bolts issue. You get days of warning that a major storm is coming. You know that when storms come to the northwest, power gets knocked out from time to time. And what's your first thing? Check and make sure we're stocked up with everything. Fuel, food, the whole nine yards, because we got all these kids locked up. And they may be little JDs. We have kids under 18 but, without heat. I mean, yeah, without exactly. heat. But, but, how, but was there any follow-up? And I know, because I've found out since then, the state capitol, has its own emergency generator and giant tanks of fuel to make sure that the state legislature is still lit up, even though nothing was going on during the storm there, but the lights are still turned on. Meanwhile, you've got people locked up, and I fully expect how many, how many kids are going to have a lawyer come to them and say, hey, you are sitting there freezing cold for days. We can, we can send them a letter and they'll have to cut us a check. And if they're dumb enough to go to a jury, can you imagine how that's going to sound when it gets in front of a jury about six months from now? And they say, this poor kid, yes, he was in for offenses he did or didn't do, uh, but he had to sit in, in freezing cold temperatures that were demonstrably and measure, measurably uh, inadequate. 
and you need to compensate this kid. And they'll be cutting checks left and right for the rest of this year and most of next year. But back to the drug problem. This is the part I really don't understand. I called my prosecutor friend who we're going to talk to about this later. I said, what is a Class C misdemeanor? He said, well, for example, it is technically, Angela, and this is what's to compare it to. Uh, it's one thing you could compare it to. It is illegal under Oregon law for two 17-year-olds to engage in consensual sex. Now, nobody ever gets prosecuted for that unless there was force involved, but it is technically a Class C misdemeanor. That's what we're talking about, that kind of nothing wow. misdemeanor. And they're going to go to an addict and say, hey, you could be found guilty of a Class C misdemeanor, and they're going to say, yeah, I don't need to worry about that. You know, my, my his own living or her own living conditions are worse than, than anything you could throw at them. They're not going to go to jail. They're not going to get a felony conviction. Would you please go into treatment? It's not working. And they, and they may well end up dead. I don't, you know, even though I disagree with their drug use, abuse, um, I'd say I don't want them to end up dead. How do we get them to keep from ending up dead? Send them to treatment and give them enough of an incentive to take it, which nobody is, nobody is taking the incentive right now. So, do that. And the Democrats say, no, no, we want to have another 1,200 body bags this year. Yeah, I think, too, that we need to be honest with ourselves about what's going on with police that are um, out patrolling. So I've done some ride-alongs, and they are not even giving people these tickets. And the, this is basically this new proposal is like a traffic ticket. And yep. the current process of giving them a ticket with a $100 fine uh, they're literally just stopped writing the tickets. They take them like 15 minutes to write up, and they are, from what they say, understaffed. The numbers tell us that. And so, so like, this is just going to be more of the same. Law enforcement has to feel like it is worth their time to do something whenever you have a triage of problems or you have a bunch of problems, you have to triage. And so having somebody that you're going to see tomorrow after you've given them this ticket who's using again whenever you've got, you know, burglaries and shoplifting problems and people. Angela, I've got to cut it off at that point. That's Angela Todd from the group PDX Real. They put pictures of what's actually going on on the streets, which the Democrats in Salem don't seem to give a damn about. Back in a moment, you got the Lars. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. We've been serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with our 26-station radio network for the past 24 years now. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our poll on X. Will Joe Biden declare war first on Texas or Iran? Uh, I know it's a little bit on the light side, but I got to tell you something. It seems as though Joe Biden is angling for basically war in both places. In Texas, he has all but pushed Texas to the point where you have 25 American states who've said we support the Texas position. You've got to be able to guard America's borders. Joe Biden has said no. He wants to have a wide open border. And and when you say, well, Lars, you're not being fair to Joe Biden, he's trying to control the border. No, he's not. When Texas put up razor wire so that it was much more difficult for people to illegally come into America, you'd think that Joe Biden would have said, hey, that's great. It's helping out our border patrol to do their job. Except Joe Biden believes that the job of the border patrol is to figure out faster and more expeditious ways to bring illegal aliens across that line. And how do I know that? He went all the way to the Supreme Court. That's what the Biden administration did. And they got the Supreme Court to say it's legal for border agents to actually go out and cut the razor wire that has been put up by, you know, Texas. And you think, oh, hold on, how does that make any kind of sense at all? And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to conservative Americans. It doesn't make, I don't even think it makes sense to liberal Americans because they've got to look at this situation, especially if you happen to live in a place like uh, New York City or Chicago, Philadelphia or Washington, D.C., where the illegal alien invasion is the most obvious. You have hundreds of thousands of people in those towns that are there illegally. And the towns are now telling their own citizens, we're going to divert our resources. Billions of dollars of resources will be diverted from providing service to the people who actually live there, are citizens there, or legal residents, and pay the taxes there. And you say, well, where are you going to put all those resources? We're going to put them into caring for all these people that we didn't invite to America, that have no right to be in America, that Joe Biden invited. And let me give you one more measure of how crazy this policy is. So what is the Border Patrol itself? What do the individual men and women who work for CBP say about this? Well, they just came out with a statement today. The Border Patrol Union has now posted a message saying its agents have no disagreement with the Texas stance on the border. And here's the quote. Unlawful orders as determined by competent legal counsel and not what some outhouse lawyer behind a keyboard says will not be followed. The union that represents the border agents has declared that its agents appreciate and respect the effort of Texas to try to secure the border. So their boss in Washington, D.C., because Joe Biden as president runs the executive branch of government, which includes Homeland Security and under Homeland Security is the Border Patrol. So for weeks, uh, both the federal government and Texas Governor Greg Abbott have been clashing over one particular place. The battlefield has come down to the town of Eagle Pass, Texas. There is a park, 47-acre park, called Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. And why is that so significant? 
because right on the edge of that park is the Rio Grande River. And the Texas National Guard moved in more than a week ago and said, we're not going to give Border Patrol agents access to the park because when they're in the park, they help the illegal aliens get past the razor wire, past the river, and come into America illegally. Now, do the Border Patrol agents themselves have much choice in this? They really don't, because they're told you're in a paramilitary organization. That's what any police agency in America is, and you follow orders. If, you, if a sergeant tells an officer to do something, the officer does it. And if he doesn't, he's guilty of insubordination, and he could be fired. If the sergeant refuses orders from a lieutenant, he can be guilty of insubordination and get fired. So that's a paramilitary organization, not fully military, but not fully civilian. And, and so what do they do? They say whatever the boss tells us to do. Well, Joe Biden has been telling them, find new and better ways to welcome people to come illegally into the United States at all. Well, now the rank and file border agents is from the, uh, the, the union. Rank and file border agents appreciate and respect what Texas has been doing to defend their state in the middle of this catastrophe that the Biden administration has unleashed on America. That's the point of view of the men and women who work as Border Patrol agents. He says, we want to be perfectly clear. There is no fight between rank-and-file Border Patrol agents and the Texas National Guard, Governor Greg Abbott, or the Texas Department of Public Safety. All of this on top of that lunatic decision from the U.S. Supreme Court that said, yes, the Border Patrol does have the authority to go down and cu cut the razor wire to facilitate the entry of illegal aliens. And I'd remind you that America's Constitution is very clear about this. The federal government has certain enumerated powers, but it also has responsibilities. And the Constitution says that what the federal government guarantees to every one of the 50 states is that the federal government will safeguard those states from invasion. And I know there are people who don't like the word invasion. What do you call it when fighting age males by the millions have come illegally into our country and Joe Biden has told the Border Patrol to facilitate their entry to this country? I call that an invasion. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big soap? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Ready for Live. This 
is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday on the Radio Northwest Network, and I want to talk to one of our favorite people, and that is former District Attorney Josh Marquis, who joins me now. Josh, I'm putting a lot of time and attention into Measure 110, even though we've talked about it almost endlessly since this mess was first passed by the voters, saying, let's just... Uh, Let's make drugs effectively legal. Now, technically, they're still illegal, but that technicality is so narrow that effectively, if you're a heroin addict, fentanyl, uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, any of the above, it's all effectively legal. And now the legislature promises, well, we realize there's a problem because we had, uh, what was it, 290 uh, overdose deaths in 2019. And last year was north of a 1,000, more than three times as many. And this year looks like it'll end up about 30% above that. And now the legislature says, we're going to put some window dressing out there, but we're really not going to do anything that will change the situation at all. Do you think I'm being unfair in evaluating what they're proposing in no, this in this new change? No, you're not. No, you're not being unfair. Measure Measure 110 has um, been a fraud from the beginning. It was engineered uh, at the cost of about five or six million dollars from a group called the Drug Policy Alliance in Washington D.C. that picked Oregon from all the states because they thought they could get away with convincing voters who had already, you know, taken drugs, you know, marijuana, you know, legalized it, obviously, in the, you know, about 10 years ago, and then also reduced the, the penalties for other drugs and just made it more and more and more lenient. And so they dressed it up and called it, I think, the Drug Ability Rehabilitation and Treatment Act, I think it's called DATA or something like that, which is similar to a federal law that has nothing to do with it. But the whole idea was to fool Oregonians into believing, because they won, let's be clear, by 58%. I was on your show, you know, in 2020, believing in the idea was, but frankly, my side did, did not prevail. And it's been, as you pointed out, an unmitigated disaster. Uh, you only need to drive through downtown Portland to see how bad it is. And as you point out, the overdose figures are incredible. And they're not going to get better because fentanyl is now infested um, what used to be, you know, almost quaint drugs like uh, heroin and oxycodone. So, so now the legislature is obviously feeling huge pressure, and the Democratic leaders – Two people in particular, Kate, Senator Kate Lieber, who is the heir apparent to the attorney general on the Democratic ticket, and uh, uh, a guy named Jason Krupp, who used to be a deputy DA for one of the second worst DA in Oregon, a guy named John Hummel, who's no longer district attorney in Bend. And they are proposing something so watered down, it's almost non-existent. So all crimes in Oregon are upgraded ABC felonies and ABC misdemeanors. They're proposing a Class C misdemeanor. The only other crimes I can think of that are that low rated is a crime called sexual misconduct, which is when a 17-year-old boy has sex with a willing 17-year-old girl. 
the point is we don't prosecute those cases. Or, for example, somebody who went and maybe bent uh, an aerial on a, on a, on a car antenna, didn't actually destroy it, but tampered with it. Uh, technically a crime, maybe, but it's not going to be prosecuted. And then there's an out. They even built something in that says it's a defense if you're engaged in a treatment program. So a cop comes up, sees somebody snorting fentanyl or mainlining it on the street, and the person, all they have to do is a defense department say, oh, I'm in a treatment program, and the officer can't do anything about it. And that's so, it. And, and by the way, this has to be for it to even qualify for a C misdemeanor, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're saying you have to be caught doing the drugs in public. So you may be high correct. and on the street, you may be incapacitated, you may be picked up, overdosed, and revived with Narcan, but if they can't prove you were actually taking the drugs in public, in front of other people, uh, then, then even the C misdemeanor doesn't apply, right? That's right. Now, in, in fairness, in the United States for 50 years, you, you, we cannot prosecute people for being under the influence of drugs. But you're absolutely right about the distinction. They're saying we don't want public use. So, in other words, ironically, it's going to discriminate against racial minorities and poor people because uh, people who have any amount of money are probably not going to use drugs in the public square. They're going to do it behind closed doors. And police's ability to regulate that is absolutely zero. So what the, what the Democratic majority is attempting to do is to say, well, we're going to do something so minor, so tiny, that it will have virtually no effect, and it will not upset our lords and masters at the uh, Drug Policy Alliance. And by the way, who each gave uh, Lieber and Krupp and Kotech thousands and thousands of dollars in the last, last election cycle. And, and by the way, also the sponsored that, that dog and pony show, that free junket off to Portugal, so they could look oh, at yeah. an entirely different country that treats drug addiction in an entirely different way and say, well, it seems to work here in Portugal. Why don't you take that message back well, it, to the it state? It doesn't work in Portugal. Ironically, I happened to be in Portugal about the same time two months ago, and I, I wasn't part of a fact-finding mission. So I just talked to some of the ordinary people and asked them, and, and, and I was in the Azores, which is part of Portugal, and I asked them, these are younger people in their 30s, they thought it was a disaster. And by the way, in Portugal, it's a totally different system. They, they have the ability to incapacitate people uh, civilly, and we just can't do that in the United States. We can't legally do it. So, so effectively, they're going to let this continue. And honestly, Josh, I think we should start calling it the narcotic industrial complex because much the way Eisenhower warned, warned about the military industrial complex, a Republican, by the way, these are folks who are literally getting hundreds of millions of dollars to allegedly do treatment for whom nobody gets the treatment. And so to give you an idea, when they put these, you know, the requirement on was that you could write tickets. So between February of 21 and September of 23, so we're talking about two and a half years, they, the cops wrote 62, almost 6,300 tickets. And they said only 499 people even called the phone number and said, I'd like the ticket forgiven. They had the conversation and only 50 of them actually got any kind of treatment. So all of that money. One of the outs. If you got a ticket and you didn't want to have to show up, because, by the way, there's no consequence if you didn't show up. If you don't show up for the ticket, they can't suspend your license or anything. You could call a phone number. So they did a contract with a perfectly good group 
um, uh, run by a guy named Dwight Holton, who used to be the U.S. attorney, there were so few calls that when they measured out the cost, it was costing $7,000 for, for each person that called in and had a 40-second conversation. The thing that, that your listeners need to understand, and the reason that I'm so militant Say it quick, because we're coming to we, the break. We, we are headed really into the toilet in Oregon on this. This is killing people at an unprecedented rate, and it's going to keep killing people like teenagers, because in the past, if somebody took a, a pill, maybe they catched it from their mom. That's not the case anymore. No, it's not. They're buying it off the street. They're going to get killed. The legislature will not act in any meaningful way, and more people are going to die. That's D.A. Josh Marquis. Coming up, we've got to talk about the border plan and why the GOP is opposing it, and they should. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lars doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Big Iron on his We have no choice within moments of my inauguration. We will begin the largest domestic deportation operation in America. We have no choice because this is not sustainable. It's no wonder Joe Biden and his thugs are so desperate to stop us. They know that we are the only ones who can stop them. They know that. They know that. And that's Donald Trump talking about what he says will be the biggest deportation effort in American history. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to tell you more about why that's so important, about why the deal that most of the major media is saying, well, they have a deal to deal with the border, but the Republicans are opposing it. So in other words, the Republicans are the bad guys. Let me tell you why that's not true and give you an indication of just the kind of peril that this country is being put in because of Joe Biden's wide open border and because the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress have said we will not go for the one border deal that Republicans have passed called House Resolution 2. If you want to double check it, that's what it is. House Resolution 2, which passed the House of Representatives some time ago. But the latest, uh, I guess, perversion of the border deal 
actually seeks to institutionalize the idea that 5,000 illegals a day will be allowed to come into America. It just won't be the 10,000 to 12,000 that are currently entering the country. First, though, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer and you disagree with me, you're more than welcome. We're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our poll on X. The poll on X can be found at Lars Larson Show on X. The same question can be found at LarsLarson.com. So, you couldn't have a clearer choice as American voters. And I guess what I'd have to ask the Democrats who are listening, and I know I have a lot of naysayers and Democrats and liberals who listen to this show, I'd ask you this. Does it sound reasonable that America could continue to see ten to 12,000 illegal aliens per day coming into America? Because that's the number we're at. The most recent numbers that were supposed to have been released in the middle of last week or earlier were actually released late on a Friday, uh, last Friday. And I want to tell you, there's a thing that they do in almost every level of government. When they want a story to be seen by the smallest possible number of people, meaning voters, the way they get rid of it is what's called a Friday document dump. What they do is they wait till close of business in Washington, D.C. That's generally 5 o'clock on Friday night. And then they push the story out. And yeah, it'll be on the news Friday night, and most of America won't see it. It might even be on the news on Saturday and Sunday, and most of America won't see it. And by Monday, you'll have forgotten about it altogether. Well, what was that news? The news was that for the month of December, the numbers which had been held back, I think deliberately, by the White House, showed that more than 300,000 illegal aliens crossed into America in the month of December. And that's very similar to the, the numbers from November. And I'd remind you again that back during the time of Barack Obama, he had a Homeland Security Secretary by the name of Jay Johnson. And Jay Johnson was asked, well, how big do the numbers have to be before you consider it a crisis? And he said, well, if four or five hundred people are crossing the border every day, that may be something that, you know, it's, it's of great concern, but not a crisis. But when it reaches 1,000 illegal aliens per day, that's what we consider a crisis. So, and that was in a Democrat administration under Jay Johnson and his boss, Barack Obama. Well, what do we have now? We have 10 times what Jay Johnson considered would be a crisis. And not just ordinary illegal aliens, but consider these reports that we've heard about. Number one. Federal authorities caught a terrorist at the U.S. southern border and then released him into the United States, and he roams around America for close to a year. He was finally arrested in Minnesota just a couple of weeks ago. There's an internal federal memo that the Daily Caller News Foundation got. The unnamed man, identified as a member of the Somali terror group, that's right, Somalia, the same place that uh, Ilhan Omar is from, the one, the one where she's, she gave a speech over the weekend in which she said, as a member of Congress, I'm going to make sure that Somalia's interests are protected first. So we've got members of Congress from Somalia who say Somalian interests come first, American interests come later. 
But this guy was a member of a Somali terrorist group called Al-Shabaab, one we've heard about many times before. He was released after being caught illegally crossing the border. When? March of last year. So the memo says we caught this guy, and then we took a look at him, and uh, we, we thought there was a mix-up in names, so we just let him go. And then the federal authorities decided, no, hold on a second, that guy is a member of Al-Shabaab. He's part of a terrorist organization. We've got to go find him. They found him close to a year later and finally took him back into custody. This is who Joe Biden is letting into our country. Second, Joe's folks, Customs and Border Protection, who I think are good people, they've actually stood up and said, we agree with Texas, not with our boss. Now, that's that's really saying something. But consider that just last week, U.S. border agents caught two child sex offenders. They caught a convicted murderer and they caught a convicted felon trying to cross the border illegally into the United States. And where do I get this information? How about this for a source? The chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, Jason Owens, put up on X, formerly known as Twitter, a picture of two men and said USBP agents in Del Rio, Texas and the Rio Grande Valley nabbed two child sex offenders with prior felony convictions. This is who's coming into the country. So we've got an urgent need to try to do something about this problem. But the latest headline, and I'll warn you right here, this is what the headline is saying. It's saying, well, there is a proposal in Congress because it's part of a budget package Joe Biden has said he wants a package that includes more money for Ukraine, despite all the corruption going on there. And lately, stories that indicate that a lot of that money, more than a billion dollars, has been diverted of the money going to Ukraine. So you say, well, we have to support Ukraine. Money goes there and it gets diverted. Why? The same thing I've been saying since the beginning of the dispute in Ukraine, and it really is a major league border dispute between Russia and Ukraine. I said, if we're going to send tens of billions of dollars into a country that is notorious for its level of corruption, how much, how much of that diversion are we going to be willing to tolerate? And the answer is, I hope not a lot. So what's happened? What the administration wants is they want money for Ukraine, money for Israel, and money for the border. Except they want to use the money simply to increase the number of illegal aliens coming in by turning the Border Patrol, all respect to them, I'd call them a kind of a concierge service for illegal aliens. You show up at the border, the Border Patrol helpfully gives you a ride to a center, you get some meals, you get a medical checkup, maybe some clean clothes, you get a shower, you get to spend a couple of nights on a bed, and then you're released into the United States with a taxpayer-funded airline ticket that'll take you anywhere you want to go. The Border Patrol is being turned into a concierge service. And no, Republicans are not going to vote to systematize and institutionalize that. You got the Lars Larson. The Lars Larson Show. The 
40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Glad to get your phone calls and emails. You know, we talk about the federal budget a lot. And in fact, over the weekend, Grover, I got, I'm talking to Grover Norquist, who, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, over the weekend, I got uh, an email from a nice lady, and she said, I don't understand why you want me to uh, vote for Donald Trump, because of all the money that he added to the federal debt and federal spending. And I said, I'm not going to deny he played a role, but if you've read the Constitution, uh, the president doesn't, no matter which party he's from, does not spend money. The Congress appropriates money. Now, the president has two choices, sign the bill and keep the government running or refuse to sign the bill, which Trump did, and shut the government down, which he did for about 30 days. And I think all of us saw the ultimate outcome of that was going to be at some point uh, one side or the other was going to cave. The Democrats are not as good at caving as the Republicans are, and they got their budget anyway. But, uh, you know, you can blame him and say he put his signature on it, but the folks who actually spent the money and proposed that higher level of spending were both Republican members of Congress and Democrats in almost every cycle. Am I wrong in any significant way in that way, Grover? No. Congress spends the money. Congress runs America. Presidents can slow things down. But at the end of the day, um, we had 62 years of Democratic dominance from 1932 to 1994. Uh, and then the Republicans took the House and Senate. And Republicans have held Congress half the time since 94, half the time. They're competitive. They're competitive. We're not in control. They built the modern edifice of government with the endless growth in mandatory entitlements when they had majorities of 60 and 70-plus percent support, House and Senate. Okay, And then we're trying to dismantle it with two or three vote margins in the House and Senate. Uh, it's... It's tough out there, uh, but the, the Republicans are at least competitive because now they sometimes control Congress. Half the time they control Congress. Um, but again, a bigger margin would uh, let you do more better. I guess, Grover, one of the things that, and I want people to be aware of it, um, it isn't all 50 states that are required by their Constitution to spend within their means. It's, aren't there a couple that manage to exceed that? Well, they exceed it somewhat because you can borrow debt for uh, building a road, for instance. Yep. So on any given day, you'd spent more money than you'd raised in taxes. You plan to raise it in the future. Or the one, the trick that they have now is many of the states have, almost all, have very high levels of unfunded liabilities. They have promised government workers pensions that taxpayers can't afford. Uh, and they just keep pushing off into the future. It's like national debt, uh, but it's at the state level. But even with that, states have so much less debt than the federal government because at the end of the day, they have to compete with other states and how they function stuff. I'm in favor of moving as many programs, every welfare program out to the states because that discipline, the idea that if we do better, people will move to our state. If we screw up, people will leave our state and we'll lose tax revenue, too, is a very important. Nobody leaves the United States to go someplace else for economic policy. Uh, so as bad as we get, it's still better than Canada and Mexico and France. Uh, 
But within the state level, there are real differences that really matter. That's the way to compete and keep school choice moving forward and welfare reform happening. Uh, we just need to move more of those decisions to the 50 states, not because they're close to the people. That's nonsense. I'm not any closer to the governor than I am to the, or the mayor than I am to the president. <laughs> but, but because there are 50 of them, and you can leave them. That's why. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, uh, you're not close to uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., <laughs> uh, because that would be well, a scary for... No, the only reason I bring it up, Grover, is because you've got all these states that operate within their means, and I, I'm aware they take on debt in other forms, but, but they don't just get to say, well, we have a state budget of $20 billion, but we'd like to spend $25 billion, so we'll just print up a bunch of money. And yet the yeah. federal government seems absolutely congenitally incapable of spending within its means because they love spending money. And, and, and I know that every pro program back there will have, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's fans saying, well, we have to have this program. You have to have that. Well, they, they aren't all have to haves. And by the time you're done with the have to haves and the nice to haves and the want to haves, you've got what this year, a two trillion dollar deficit. So they're short of the amount of money they need by two trillion dollars. And I'm yeah. just worried about where we're going to go when we finally hit the brick wall. There are only two ways to fix this. One is strong economic growth. We had a very high debt to GDP ratio at the end of World War II. We grew away from it, okay? We had lots of deficits during that period, but our growth of the economy grew faster than our borrowing did. And so instead of 120% of GDP, it was 20 or 30% of GDP, and then it started coming back up again. You can grow, if you grow, strongly enough and keep spending somewhat restrained you can make the debt not smaller just smaller in relation to the whole government you know if if, if you're making a million dollars a year you can be in debt a hundred thousand dollars and you're fine if you're making ten thousand dollars a year you owe a hundred thousand dollars you're in trouble so the, the the wealthier the country the more growth the more gdp the the, the more, less damaging the same size debt is but grow away from it. And then the second one is rain and spending, rain and spending, rain and spending. And we need to focus on that. The problem is every time we say, let's rain and spending, the Democrats go, oh, you're worried about the deficit. We have a fix for that. Higher taxes. Yep. Which slows growth and is put in instead of, in, the Democrats go, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to fix the problems. We don't want to manage the government. We just want to raise taxes to pay for the problem. I mean, it's just, I mean, to me, the metaphor is the husband or wife, and it could be either one, who has a spending problem. And and when, uh, let's say, the wife is the, the breadwinner in a family, she's a doctor, she makes lots of money, she comes home and tells her husband, you got to stop putting all this stuff on the credit card. And he tells her, no, you have to go out and make another 50000 or or 100000 a year to fund my spending. And, and you can understand how quickly that conversation would end. And now we've got the Fiscal Commission Act of 2023, a $12 million study on how to cut spending. Oh, it's worse than that. This commission is, the, is plagiarized from the efforts in uh, 1982 when the little cabal of people will get together and they said to Reagan, we will give you $3 in spending cuts for every dollar of tax increase. This is Bob Dole. Republican from Kansas and the Democrat, Tip O'Neill. And of course, at the end of the day, the tax cuts were real 
and permanent, and there was no spending cuts. There was no spending restraint. Spending went up more than before the deal. Reagan said it was the biggest decision, bad, worst decision he ever made as president. Eight years later, they went to George, Herb, George Herbert Walker Bush and said, you're a cheaper date. We're willing to give you $2 of imaginary spending cuts <laughs> for every dollar of tax increase. And he said, oh, good, that's a great idea. Darman tells me it's a smart thing to do. And he bought it, okay? He it stood before, you go to hr.org, our website, and you can see the, the clip of Bush apologizing for that mistake, okay? He said, I got took. And, I, and he said, I own that. He, he said, that was wrong. That was a mistake. Uh, and now they're going to have a commission. And what are they going to do? Recommend, pretend, tax, spending cut, and real permanent damaging tax increases. And all it takes is three Republicans on the commission to join the Democrats, and then you vote it. And it's fast track through Congress in five days, so nobody has a chance to see what's going on. Unbelievable. That is Grover Norquist, President of American Tax Reform. Back in a moment. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network. And this segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. Just go to NickShivers.com for details. That's NickShivers.com. Now, our poll on X, we decided to go a little light on it today. Will Joe Biden declare war first on Texas or Iran? I mean, he could easily be at war in both places here fairly soon. A civil war in Texas because of the border issues that are hurting Americans all over this country. Or in Iran, which has been backing up all these proxy attacks that have taken the lives of Americans, including two men and one woman, uh, members of a military unit from Georgia, who died in a drone attack that happened in Jordan, uh, right near the uh, the Syrian border. Uh, these these members of the military were hit with a drone attack. 
the drone managed to get in, and I got a couple of emails from people. Here's what I know about how that drone was able to come up on this base. That base is one of the places where if we deploy people uh, surreptitiously or otherwise into Syria, this is the base. It's called Tower 22. This is where our military members go in. And you think, well, they, they're probably very well protected. They are. They have electronic countermeasures that are designed to take down any drone that tries to approach that base. But our military also uses drones. So when they send a drone out, they turn off the countermeasures so the drone can leave the base and then go out and do what it does, which is mostly surveillance. It may be actually some attacks as well. But when the drone is about to return, if the U.S. military did not turn off the countermeasures, then our own drone would be brought down by the countermeasures uh, that are out there to stop enemy drones. So what happened? The jihadis figured this out and they said, oh, when America, when the American base has a drone returning to base, they turn off the electronic countermeasures. We'll just have one of our drones approach the base when the countermeasures are off. In a lot of ways, it reminded not just me, but producer Joel of Star Trek. Remember when they'd say, oh, Put down the defensive shields. Now put the shields back up. And then the bad guys figure out how to get you to put the shields down so that their attack on you can come in. That's exactly what the jihadis did in carrying out this attack. And because they knew that a drone was coming back in, uh, they had not taken any kind of precaution saying we may be coming under attack at this point. So that meant that uh, that drone managed to kill three service members, two men and one woman who were from this unit from Georgia. And that their, the news of their deaths came in over this past weekend. A number of other people, I think it was 25, were actually wounded in that attack. Uh, and so now they're going to have to figure something else out to make sure that our drones can come and leave, but their drones do not get in. So we've got wars uh, that are that seem to be percolating in places like Texas because of border issues, in Iran perhaps because of drone attacks, and all of the other more than 100 attacks that have been launched on the U.S. military around this globe in the last several months funded by Iran, the same people that Joe Biden has been trying to make nice with because he wants to find a way to set up a new nuclear deal, even though Iran is said to be either uh, 30 days or is maybe a month or two away from having their own nuclear weapons. And for all we know, they already do have their own nuclear weapons, and a deal with Joe Biden and the mad mullahs of Tehran isn't going to do any good at all. So you can find the poll on X at Lawrence Larson Show on our website at LawrenceLarson.com. Will Joe Biden declare war first on Texas or on Iran? Today's poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, on First Amendment Friday, last Friday, we asked you the following X poll, and it had to do with a proposal kid you not, that is in front of the legislature in Olympia, should your kids be taught about history from the point of view of lesbian, bisexual, gay, and transgender, LGBTQ? Should they learn bisexual or LGBTQ history by order of the folks in Olympia, or should the control of your schools be in your community? I said no to the idea. So did 97% of you. Only 3% of you said yes to that crazy idea. And then I wanted to raise this as well. There was a crash last week. 
and the uh, fire department in Pierce County, Graham Fire Department, showed up on the scene, and they find this guy who's in his car. His car has crashed, and as they approach him to help him out, he appeared, first of all, to be high on opiates, so heroin or methamphetamine, uh, heroin or uh, fentanyl. 28-year-old guy, Colton Hunter, I uh, know, interesting name, uh, he reached for a gun. He had a gun on. He had body armor on. This is a guy, and here's where I think the real question is. They managed to take him into custody. He appeared to be under the influence. They found foil with burn marks on it, which is a common method used to smoke fentanyl. So what do we know about Colton Hunter? He's 28 years old. He has 12 prior felony convictions, including charges for things like drugs, burglary, and fleeing from the police. Now, right now he's sitting in jail on a $100,000 bail. I don't know why it's not a million dollars. He's got new charges for unlawful gun possession, stolen car, and driving under the influence. But with 12 prior felony convictions, not, not charges, why is this guy not locked up altogether? Instead, he's driving around with body armor and weapons, and he's even going to attack the people who try to come in and help him out when he crashes his car. That's the state of the Northwest right now. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big soap? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and live on the Radio Northwest Network, reaching out to every corner of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. And if you want to jump in, it's certainly uh, uh, it's a, uh, an opportunity open to you. Uh, if you want to be a naysayer, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our X poll. Used to be called Twitter. Now it's called the X. Uh, and uh, the question is whether Joe Biden's going to go to war first in Texas or Iran. And on that note, it's a great pleasure to welcome the host of the Ari Hoffman Show on our affiliate station in Seattle. And that's Ari Hoffman, of course. Ari, how are you? 
Thanks for being the great to be here, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm not at all tempted to become a liberal nitwit like some of the ones out there, but I, I just, I just wonder how soon uh, or or how long it's going to take for Americans to raise an objection to the idea that almost anything a conservative does will meet the the st- strongest punishment under the law. But when liberals go out and do things like the pro-Haas, pro-terrorism activist who blocked city streets in Bellevue, nothing much happens to them, and they get protection from the very people in government who are supposed to be enforcing the laws. How does that happen? And would you mind describing what happened in the city of Bellevue? Absolutely. We're three years away from the summer of love in 2020. And if you remember, one of the first things that happened during the rioting, and I believe this was before the autonomous zone, the armed takeover of six blocks of Seattle by Antifa and BLM domestic terrorists, was a bunch of people came in and looted Bellevue Square Mall. That's a high-end mall. Bellevue's a high-end town. It's a high-end city. And people were just mortified by this whole thing. And they said, we're not going to let this happen again. And we're going to take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. And we're going to do everything we can to protect our city and make sure it doesn't happen. Well, pro-Hamas protesters announced days beforehand that what they were going to do was be marching to the mall, and what they were going to do was be protesting in, in that area of downtown Bellevue. So they had days to prepare for this thing. And yesterday, when they were out there, when they were protesting, I didn't see a single cop in sight. I wonder where the fact, police were. The mall had more more mall cops than I saw anywhere else. Well, and, and Ari, you also indicate that you've got some inside dope on this that the mayor of Bellevue, Lynn Robinson, and the acting city manager, Diane Carlson, were alleged to be holding the police back, saying, no, don't stop these people from doing what they're doing, which, by the way, I know the standard excuse is, well, this is First Amendment free speech. I engage in free speech every day, but I follow the law. I don't block streets. I don't block intersections. Those are violations of the law in Bellevue, just like they are in every other American city, aren't they? Exactly. Your free speech does not get to impede my rights to go freely wherever I want to go in Bellevue or in this country. And the crazy thing to me is apparently there were discussions about what to do about this and how to address it. And now if you had said to me, look, Ari, we have a staffing crisis. We don't have enough police officers. I don't like it. I would have gotten it. But just saying they can have the streets and then telling people that it was a peaceful protest when they're blocking streets and blocking intersections while they're chanting for a terrorist organization give me a break well and and even if the even if they didn't do it based on what the messaging was because you can get yourself in trouble there the same way you know if you don't pay any attention when a bunch of earth firsters are out protesting but you do pay attention when somebody's uh, pro, is is doing a rally uh based on their faith um, you can get yourself in trouble as a government if you decide to take action on one and not on the other one. But when they say there's not enough staffing, all they'd have to do, I think, from the outside, as somebody who's observed police for a long time, is say, well, we don't have the power to arrest all of these people. But if you make protests like this, where they begin to break the law, inconvenient for the protesters instead of inconvenient for everybody else you say the police are going to be there the minute you start blocking a street we're just going to randomly pick people out of your crowd we're going to put them in zip ties and load them on a seattle metro bus and have them taken to a police precinct i would argue the one that is the most far distant from where the protest is is called and then we'll release you there at some point 
Now, if 40 or 50 people per busload of these people were being hauled away on a regular basis, even if you've only got the cops to fill two or three buses over the course of a couple of hours, I think it would give some of these so-called protesters who are actually committing criminal acts, and they're doing it in concert. So it's a, it's a conspiracy act to say, let's conspire to shut down the streets of a city, uh, that you'd make it difficult for them and just say, it's going to happen every time you do this kind of stuff. Right, but also if you have a staffing problem, call a King County Sheriff and say we need extra bodies. Call a governor and say we need some National Guard bodies out here instead of having them give sandwiches to all the homeless people or all the refugees or all the illegal immigrants that are coming here. Why don't we have them help us out with that? But no, they don't do any of that. And I've also gotten emails from people who have contacted the mayor, who have contacted the city manager, and they keep saying things like that's not true, the reporting is false, this meeting never happened. And I say, well, if that's the case, why haven't you gone back to my press requests. I've sent several, and there is radio silence from them and the Bellevue Police Department. So if I am not accurate about this, which I know I am, if I am not accurate about this, all they have to do is put out a public statement and say, retract your post, take it down, and we know we're right and you're wrong, and I would have to do so. But the fact that they haven't done that yet shows I'm 100% right, and they don't know how to spin this. I'm talking to Ari Hoffman, host of his own show on our Seattle affiliate KVI, and they'd also have to explain, well, if it wasn't a, con a, a considered decision to let this illegal activity go on in the city at the de to the detriment of people who are legitimate users of the city, then what caused the police not to respond? Right. They'd also have to say, if the police made this decision without any input from them, when are you find firing the police chief? You can't let something like this happen. And the people in Bellevue don't put up with this the way the people in Seattle do. So the people in Bellevue are very mad about this. And they're wondering why something wasn't done. So it's either the police chief or it's them. And nobody's getting back to me, which shows me it was all of them. Yeah, it was probably all of them. Because I'll bet the police chief in Bellevue saw what happened to the police chief. Carmen Best in Seattle when she said you can't let people take over parts of the city you can't let them burn a police precinct uh, and and at some point she was given her walking papers I know they they portrayed it as she's made the decision to go off and seek other you know things to do but you know what really happened nobody at that level ever really gets fired what happens is they just mutually part company and I'll bet the police chief of Bellevue does not want to mutually part company with the job it may be a little bit more than that. Don't forget Seattle last week paid out $10 million to 50 yes. Antifa BLM activists. And they're probably thinking to themselves, well, if we don't do anything, are we really going to have any lawsuits? Sure, some people may complain, but then we won't have to pay any of this out because now Seattle has set the standard. If you riot, if you vandalize, you get to walk away with six figures. Now, uh, the test would be, even though it's not the usual style of conservatives, what happens if a conservative group says, you know, turnabout's fair play. We're going to come block streets in Bellevue. And if you treat us differently because of a different message, then you're going to have lawsuits and you'll end up paying money out to groups like the Proud Boys or, or some other group, Joey Gibson's group. That's Ari Hoffman. His show follows mine on our affiliate station in Seattle. That's KBI. Back in a moment, we got to talk about blue-collar Joe Biden and what a false, false narrative that is. I'll get to your phone calls, too. You've got the Lars Larson Show.
With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Unlock.com. Gun Control Explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Take a listen to this from Joe Biden. The neighborhoods we grew up in, they made Joe who he is. And that's why he works as hard as he can for the people who make this country work every single day. Well, class isn't a number, it's a value set. Values that have guided Joe's entire life. Yeah, Joe Biden's middle class life. He spent a long, long time trying to persuade people, I'm just plain old blue collar Joe. I mean, it used to be when he was in the U.S. Senate, he'd actually traveled home to Delaware on the train rather than taking a plane and he has lots of train stories he tells now because he's trying to support this narrative that he's just a blue-collar guy not a multi multi-millionaire who has lots of money in the bank and multiple multi-million dollar homes some of which are protected by millions of dollars of security provided by the american taxpayer but let me get back to that and the thing that puts the lie to it all together we'll do that in just a moment first welcome to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line if you want to, as long as you stick around for a couple of questions from me. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and find our daily X poll on X, which used to be Twitter, at LarsLarsonShow and at LarsLarson.com on our website. First, though, let's go to David. David, you had a question about the drone attack that was carried out in Jordan near the Syrian border that took the lives of three service members? I do, actually, and, and I'll just ask a question and get off and let you take it. Um, I've spent over 18 years in the military, and I know that our military aircraft have what's called IFF, which is Identified Friend or Foe. And whenever they're coming into a place, they uh, start transmitting. They call it squawking. Yep. I'm just wondering, do these drones not have IFF capability? Best, I mean, now, remember, David, you, you know, being in the military, there's only so much they release to the public, but it seems that most of them, maybe some of them do, the bigger ones do, but I know they're very concerned with drones, and there are some very large drones that the U.S. military operates right now. I'm fascinated by the technology, but some of them are relatively small drones. So if you said, well, we want to add an IFF package to that drone, 
I would imagine the, the bias against it is probably because it does two things. Number one, it weighs something, so it reduces the other things like cameras or weapons that you can put on the drone. And number two, it consumes power. And so my understanding of what happened with this attack on Tower 22, that's the base that apparently is the main entry point if we're sending milita our military into Syria, they stage through this Tower 22 in Jordan, which is right near the Syrian border. But apparently their system has been that when they have a drone flying out, they turn off the electronic countermeasures that are designed to bring down any drone like, like the one that did attack the base. They bring it down. But apparently the jihadis figured out that system, and they said, okay, then we're going to simply have our drone follow the other drone in. And, and, and I'm not, it's not like the movies where it had to sit, you know, on its six, you know, two feet behind it. Apparently all they had to do was know the Americans have a drone returning to base. When, it, when that's the case, they turn off the electronic countermeasures that are designed just to simply take enemy drones out of the air. And they figured out when the when the defenses are down, we can sneak our drone in. There were apparently two other drones that were part of this attack. The total was three. One of them managed to kill three service members. There were about two dozen service members who suffered wounds in that attack. And uh, but but do they have an IFF? Apparently not on all of them, and and maybe not even on most of them. And David, you've seen the drones they use. Some of them are hand launched, and they look like you know a kid's toy. And so they're very small. So even if they had IFF on the bigger drones, the ones that act more like small, small aircraft as opposed to the little ones, um, they'd still have to have the electronic countermeasures. And if you didn't turn the countermeasures on and off as drones come and go, you send out a small drone whose only job is to go out, do aerial surveillance, send back pictures, that sort of thing, you'd still have to have the countermeasures because the bad guys can put a bomb or, or other device on those small uh, drones as well and fly them in. So you'd have to have the countermeasures and the IFF. And I'm sure that for some of those aircraft, the really smaller ones, the IFF would just be too much weight and too much power, and it would make them impractical. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Lars. I mean, I've read, thank you for the call. I've read as much as I can about what happened in this attack and how they got in. And that is the system. They ordinarily have electronic countermeasures designed to bring down the enemy drones that might attack uh, or approach that base. And the bad guys figure that out. Now, about Joe Biden being a blue collar guy, I want you to consider this. Joe Biden is worth millions of dollars. He has several houses that are worth millions of dollars. The Biden crime family has done very, very well. And if you wonder, as a lot of us have wondered, how in the world does the United States senator, who for most of his career made about $150,000 a year, which is a very nice paycheck if you're just an ordinary American worker. If you're a U.S. senator, you're constantly surrounded by lobbyists who make millions of dollars every year. And here's poor old blue-collar Joe pulling down 150000 somehow managing to parlay that into multi-million dollar homes. Now, some of that came after he was vice president because as vice president for eight years he made a better paycheck than a u.s senator but it still wasn't get rich money and then after he became uh, a, a private citizen for a time in between the vice presidency and running for president joe biden gave speeches at which he made literally millions of dollars in speaking fees now you might wonder 
Why is a former vice president, former senator who's giving speeches, why is he making all that money? I think you should suspect the same thing is true of Joe Biden that was true of Hillary Clinton. There were an awful lot of people who paid Hillary Clinton huge amounts of money to come and speak before their groups. Because once she was a private citizen and she was no longer Secretary of State, she could get away with making huge amounts of money. And all of those people, I think, who wrote the checks to her, were, were they knew that what she was planning to do was run for president of the United States. So they figure, let's give her some money right now. We'll get in her good graces. And then once she becomes president, we will have a, a way to communicate to the future president of the United States. You might have noticed that an awful lot of her big speaking fees, the foundation donations and all that went down dramatically as soon as she lost to Donald Trump in 2016. But consider this when you think about Joe as just plain average Joe, because Joe Biden runs around, he shows up at events, and he tells uh, groups of union workers, why, I used to be a truck driver, I used to be a coal miner. I mean, he, he'll claim that he has held just about every profession there is in the world. But when he goes to the latest campaign get-together, which is in Miami, it's in Florida, He's going to be there with some of the most elite people. And how do I know that? Because if you want to go to that event, I don't, but if you wanted to, and you wanted to be considered a, a friend of Joe Biden's campaign, you need to lay down $6,600. If you want to be designated as a champion of the Biden campaign, that takes $25,000. If you want to join the National Finance Committee for Joe Biden, you've got to come up with $50,000. To be a co-host of the event is $100,000, and to be co-chair is $250,000. And people who can part with that kind of money, they are not just plain average Joes. you got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your calls. I want to talk to Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood, who served America for two decades in the U.S. Marine Corps, is now a senior research fellow for defense programs at the Heritage Foundation. Colonel, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's uh, let's have a good chat. Absolutely. And, and before we get into specific military preparedness, I'd like mm -hmm. your thoughts on, on this drone attack. Uh, that killed three service members and apparently left a, at least a couple of dozen service members with some fairly serious injuries in Jordan. Yeah, that, that crossed a line. So up to this point in time, what, 160-plus attacks on U.S. positions in that broader region, you know, Iraq and, and Syria, as, as well as some other um, um, uh, locations, you, you could kind of dismiss it right you know some traumatic brain injury or concussion shock but no loss of life and so the administration the Biden administration could say we're going to deal with this maybe we attack a warehouse out in the desert someplace but it was always kind of a restrained effort when you get three body bags coming home 
right? Uh, eight individuals uh, injured severely enough to have them evacuated from Jordan uh, for more serious medical attention, probably in Germany, and then uh, 34, 35 or so others injured. You know, it, the American public is going to demand something, and you're already seeing those calls for a very, very muscular response, not just against the militia groups in Syria, but against Iran itself. I mean, it risks broadening the war, getting the U.S. involved in another scrape, you know, in in that particular region. So it, uh, somebody goofed, uh, I think, in the in the Syrian militia group area and has put Iran in a dangerous spot. Not that they don't deserve to be there, but it's just one of those moments where you've turned a corner and who knows what the future holds. I guess what I'm wondering, Colonel, is, is Joe Biden going to hold back in hitting Iran because he still seems to want to have some kind of deal with the Iranians, even though I, I think the nuclear deal with Iran is it, it's past its expiration date at this point. But he wants to, to not go back against Iran in the same way that he didn't have much of a response when the Iranian-backed yeah. Hamas conducted the slaughter on October 7th in Israel, there wasn't a strong response that you could see uh, against Iran. And this is the same kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's this irrational hope that either buying off the Iranians with billions of dollars or promising some kind of diplomatic overture um, or I, I don't know what they're thinking is going to happen that will change Iranian behavior, but we've got what, 40 or 50 years of them behaving in a certain way. And, and, uh, and so the only thing they, they seem to respond to are direct military strikes that really hurt their interests. I mean, Reagan saw this, uh, Donald Trump saw this, and both the Obama and Biden administrations have taken the opposite tack. And that's what's really brought us to this point, because the, the uh, Iranians have been incentivized to continue to prosecute you know, these sorts of, uh, of military attacks. I mean, so, you know, Biden didn't... Is... Sorry. Go ahead, Colonel. No, I was going to say Biden put himself into this situation where now you know, you're in the depths of a political uh, you know, election for the presidency, so he can't be seen as being weak on defense, not supporting our service members in that region, and not protecting America, and yet he doesn't want to be saddled with you know another war in the middle east so this is a it's a creature of his own making and, and america i think is going to have to suffer the cost of this uh, in, in a broader conflict i'm talking to lieutenant colonel dakota wood now retired but he spent two decades in the u.s marine corps now he's at heritage but isn't that exactly how countries usually get themselves into war is by having soft <laughs> yeah. response well uh, i guess i'm yeah, saying no, I, you, 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 go yeah. ahead colonel no, no, I'm, I'm laughing because you're so right. I mean, this is the Chamberlain moment, right? We're yeah. Hitler, you know, we've agreed to peace. And uh, we can kind of laugh at these historical examples, but they're absolutely true. You know, it's like raising kids. If you don't discipline them and show them the correct behaviors when they're young, forget about trying to engage them when they're, you know, teens or, or young adults, right? I mean, we just know this. When, when crime becomes rooted in a local community and you wait and wait until the drug lords are there and organized crime is established, they don't move on willingly. And so the cost of correcting problems that have, have manifested over, over many, many years is always higher than if you had just been more aggressive and more confident at rooting these things out when they were small, you know, small potatoes. Because I'm thinking about Trump and he hits Syria. He says, you've crossed the line, he hits Syria. And, and I know at the time there were people saying, well, there's going to be a bad response to this. No, 
uh, or dropping the Moab on a bunch of terrorists in Afghanistan. He said, well, that's an act of war. And, you know, even the Democrats are starting to make noises about, say, Joe didn't talk to us before he did all this stuff. Well, he's commander in chief. He's, you know, in, in theory, he's not starting another war, but you have to have kinetic responses to some of this stuff. And he's let, what is it now? 140 attacks on U.S. military over the last few months and with almost yeah, no you, response you, at all. Yeah, you must have slept for four or five hours because I think we're we're up to 163 now. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just it's just horrible, you know. And yeah, this timidity, half stepping, you know, the measured response out of fear of escalation in Ukraine, you know, gave the Ukrainians just enough not to lose, but not enough to win, right? And we're yep. seeing the same approach with Iran's nuclear program. They've got enough uh, uranium in grade, uh, enriched to 60 percent. That in three or four weeks, you know, the leap to 90% weapons grade is not a huge technological leap at all. They could have a half dozen nuclear weapons. And what do you think Israel's response is going to do that, you know, to that? So that this conflict avoidance and this timidity and risk aversion actually creates the problem that presumably you were wanting to avoid to begin with. And China's paying attention to all of this, aren't they? On the other side of the world, with Taiwan 100 miles off their coast, right, 360 ships in their Navy, and at best we can put 60 in the water, uh, 1,500 miles from the nearest support base, you know, from a U.S. perspective. So, yes, they're looking at the numbers. They're looking at the timeliness and effectiveness of U.S. responses. They're seeing what the U.S. has done with respect to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and now threatening the Baltic states and even Poland. So there are a lot of eyes watching the U.S. response. This is not a global policeman or trying to do things for overly idealistic reasons or spreading democracy. It's defending our economic interests and our security interests and shaping a world that favors the United States and not that of our competitors. And Colonel Wood, uh, we also have a, a recruiting problem. We can't even keep our military ranks full and they're becoming increasingly desperate to the point where they're saying, we know we told you to take the jab, you didn't take it, but could you come back and go back to work for us? I mean, and I'm hearing from service members everywhere who say, well, they're lowering this standard. We're now going to take people without a GED or a high school diploma. I mean, we're sounding almost as desperate as Putin. The Navy, it's not uncommon for the Navy to have ships that are undermanned by 15%. Wow. They have raised... The, the older age, right, the cutoff age for enlisting in the Navy to 41 years old, and they are now accepting Category 4 recruits, you know, on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of passing these uh, these tests. And the Air Force are so short of pilots <clears throat> that if you can zip up a flight suit and fog a mirror, you're going to pass. <laughs> uh, near 100% graduation rates, I think it's one quarter of 1%, fail to get their wings due to proficiency, and it's automatic promotion in the Army from captain to major, right? So so these are the problems in our military services. The Army shrank itself by 33,000 soldiers last year because it couldn't recruit enough. Uh, three out of four American youth are ineligible for American service because of physical and mental problems, obesity, substance abuse, and criminal records. 
So we've got a dwindling pool of Americans that are even eligible, a smaller pool that even want to join. And once they get in, they're working with old gear, very long hours, and not enough training time to be competent in their tasks. Absolutely. That's Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood. Colonel, thank you for the time. From the U.S. Marine Corps, now at Heritage, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. He may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. (laughs) This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network, which has, for 24 years now, served the states of the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. We provide honestly provocative talk radio on a daily basis. Let me go to some of your calls now. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism it's 866 hey lars and if you're a naysayer you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277 this is one of those rare days when i haven't had any real naysayers today let's go to bruce in bellingham listening on the network and kgmi bruce what's on your mind hi lars yeah i'd like to give you uh my characterization of uh joe Biden. Uh, yeah. Back back in the 19, I think it was the 1970s, there was a movie, a very good movie uh, starring George C. Scott, and it was called The Flim Flam Man. And I would suggest everyone look at that. I think Joe Biden is the Flim Flam Man. I kind of thought of him as more like uh, Peter Sellers in Being There. You know, where you have this character, he doesn't seem to have any knowledge about anything in particular. He just shows up, he says whatever people expect him to say, and without even intending to do it, he manages to somehow put himself in a position to make millions of dollars, to have a nice house and a lot of time off. He spends about 40% of his time as president at the beach or otherwise not doing his job. But you may be right. I'll have to take a look at that at that movie, Bruce, and see whether or not the flim-flam man actually matches up with what uh, Joe Biden is doing right now, because right now he's not doing much. Uh, let's see. Thomas writes in, Lars, 
I think uh, he was referring to Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood. He's a bit off target. Biden has orchestrated this perfectly. He has allowed the Iranians to make our military appear inept at defending the region. He now has the opportunity to go to war because we were attacked, which makes his reelection more likely. Do you think him leaving Afghanistan was a cluster? Uh, just wait. Signed Thomas. Thomas, I think you may be right about that because... Uh, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out whether or not Joe Biden wants to start a war so that he can appear to be a wartime president. Because you're right, Thomas, that uh, wartime presidents tend to do very, very well. Or is it instead a Joe Biden who's just managed to bumble his way through things? He sends the wrong signals to you to Russia about Ukraine. We end up funding a war in Ukraine, which, by the way, Within the last couple of weeks, we've had the Pentagon itself assessing this, saying we're going to send tens of billions of dollars there through most of 2024, and we don't expect much movement on either side, which means something that began now almost two years ago is going to go one more year without any change in the current situation, and then we're going to continue funding the war for how long? How long exactly are we going to do that? I also want to point this out to you because this just came out today. So we've had $130 billion that has been sent so far to Ukraine for the war against Russia. But it's not exactly going well, number one. They're not making any progress. But number two, consider this. Breitbart News reached out uh, to people in Ukraine, to the Ukrainian government, and said, we want to find out about American tax dollars that have gone to one of the cities in the war-torn Eastern European nation in Ukraine, seeing a condo built in that town in violation of a bilateral agreement with the United States. And what they're hearing back is that an awful lot of the, the money that we're sending to Ukraine is going somewhere other than where it's intended to. And, uh, and that doesn't make any sense at all because Americans are being told this is an absolute necessity. We have to fund this. If we don't fund it, we're not supporting freedom. But if you take a hard look at Ukraine, I've had a number of people question the fact that I've opposed the funding for the Ukraine war. I know other conservatives have supported it. But when I look at the funding for the war, and I warned in the first month we started doing this, way back now, almost two years ago, I said, you want to send tens of billions of dollars into a notoriously corrupt country, Don't, wouldn't you expect that a certain percentage of that money is going to be diverted by the same corrupt oligarchs that Joe Biden and the Biden crime family uh, made so much money from? And people said, well, there'll be a little bit of corruption. We're hearing about a lot of corruption, up to a billion dollars that the Pentagon has sent into Ukraine in the form of weapons or cash is going somewhere other than where you would expect it to go. It's not actually doing any good. So how does it make any sense to keep funding it? Second, when we hear from Joe Biden that we have to defend democracy, and then you take a look at what Ukraine really is, a country where People don't have a lot of freedoms, number one. Number two, you see a country where, for instance, churches, the Russian Orthodox Church, has been actually shut down uh, by, the, by uh, the Ukrainian government. So you've got a, a country that is full of contradictions from what Joe Biden would like to say is, is our goal, to support democracy. Well, I don't think we're supporting a democracy. We are supporting another 
you know, a terribly corrupt government in a country where the war is not likely to end anytime soon. And you wonder how long are Americans going to be okay with funding that mess? I would hope that it's going to be over sooner rather than later. Later. It is a Monday. It's the Lars Larson Show, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.